Hello there, listener, and welcome to this episode of Hacker Talk, the podcast by hackers for hackers. The voice you're hearing right now is me, Philip. I will be your host during today's show. And let's start today's Hacker Talk with a quote. The quote is, the hacker walks the long sand path to cyberism and cyber Shambhala, Shambhala being a Tibetan Buddhist term meaning spiritual kingdom. Where does this crazy quote come from? This quote comes from the Hacker on Planet Earth conference. Speaking of the Hackers Planet Earth Conference, which is a biannual hacker conference taking place in New York, started in 94, which I personally have visited and it's one of my favorite conferences in the world. Joining me today is two amazing hackers that are kind of behind the scenes at the Hope Conference, making things happen. Joining me today is Greg Newby, who is a longtime 2600 contributor. He's a Hope speaker and Hope he helps the world with literature for Project Gutenberg and does many other amazing things. Also joining me today is Mitch Altman, co-founder of the San Francisco-based hackerspace Noisebridge, creator of the hand and goofy tool called TVB Gone. Amazing hacker and also our guest of honor today. Uh, Greg and Mitch, how are you guys doing today? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having us on the podcast. I'm doing really well too. Yeah. And thanks. It's nice to be with you. So I'm really interested uh, to hear before we jump into all things hope, what led you guys here? Like what, what sparked the light bulb of wanting to explore technology and hacking and tinkering? It's funny because every hacker has their own story, their own sort of like story of how they got here. Um, I'll tell mine briefly, and I, I know Mitch had a couple of overlaps, but also a couple of different points. But I was lucky enough to uh, really be growing up around the time when computers were becoming much more available. So as a uh, uh, junior high school, and in high school, I was wandering around places like Radio Shack and and thinking a lot about uh, radio communications and there were gizmos. Suddenly people had personal computers and um, there were a bunch of movies coming out about how how these systems would would sort of help. And then when I got a little later in life, it really became a, a profession, which for me was focused on the information side. What can people do with information and how do computers help, computers and networks help to actually augment human intelligence to make us smarter and and better able to reach out to others. And so that had been a long-time interest of mine. And um, by the time I started getting involved with 2600 and Hope, this was in the very late uh, 1990s and early 2000s, I was a professor at university. And there I was teaching all these concepts. I was teaching information security. I was teaching systems and server administrations. I was teaching um, things like uh, uh, content, you know, web basics. So I was sort of steeped in the culture. And a lot of this to me was more or less lucky timing. Because uh, like I said, I, I was growing up at a time with all these computers and technologies and networks and things around them were becoming uh, popular. And that gave me an opportunity to, I think, reflect a little on some of these technologies. In other words, I had a little perspective Things like privacy and things like the um, uh, the role of information in individuals' lives and what what information access can do to empower. So that's a little bit of my story, uh, you know, conceptually. And then, of course, uh, at Hope I, and, and uh, twenty six hundred, I have uh, an overlapping story, which was that in the year two thousand, I attended H two K, which was in the year two thousand, and um, stood up to do a little volunteering. And then in 2002, I was back 
and stood up to do a little more volunteering, mostly at the AV crew, but also some other activities. And then um, after that, I just got more and more involved so that now, along with Mitch and a, and a small group, I'm one of the, uh, you know, one of the people that sort of helped to keep hope organized and planned and executing from from year to year and uh and of course at the conference itself i'm one of the guys running around trying to help out and that's been that's been tremendously uh wonderful just been really great because people are so appreciative uh the hackers on planet earth the hope conference tends to be a life-changing event for people that attend it certainly for the first time it's just like suddenly all these people with with common interests and all this content, all this expertise just being shared freely. And it gives you a new revitalized outlook on, on what we do, not just the technology piece, but just over, overall the hacker mindset of being curious and open and supportive and teaching and learning and, um, exploring and, and, uh, not seeing boundaries before us as fixed boundaries, but taking them and them as opportunities to, to, you know, explore and, and push and, and learn about. So that whole mindset through the involvement in, in hackers on planet earth, to me, not only aligned with where I was before then as, you know, a youngster growing up, as I described earlier, but also where I was going. In other words, um, uh, I learned a lot and I changed some of my own attitudes. And of course, uh, uh, saw things from a different perspective as a result of being involved in in hope conferences. Yeah, uh, hope for me was also a total life changing uh, events, just like you said, Greg. And uh, yeah, we do have a lot of overlap, and so much of life is just circumstance and luck, and who knows what else. <clears throat> we kind of bumble our way through life, or at least speaking for myself, that's what I do. But uh, but we can, with, with, with sort of a mindset, we, we can take what we experience as opportunities, whether the bumbling brings me to something that feels good or not so good. I can, I can learn from it and grow. Um, like Greg, I, I grew up as, as a geek, always taking things apart and eventually learning to put them back together again. And somehow my parents didn't harm me in that process. They kind of encouraged it. And uh i got really good at electronics in particular and started helping small companies with their problems and that's the way i made a living for most of my adult life until TVCon. and also my my mother was a learning disabilities teacher and she had me come in and teach the, her students uh, a bunch of simple things which was super gratifying we we these kids had the opportunity to be actually doing things that was actually education. They were learning in school and not just doing stuff to parrot back stuff on tests. And I learned a lot about uh, teaching and learning through that ex those experiences. And I love that much, much more than my experiences in school, which was learning through test taking. And I was good at it, but, um, but teaching, I learned so much more. And when I was uh, working with other companies, I learned a lot and uh, also learned what I didn't like. And what I didn't like was working on projects just for other people's. And so I, when I was doing 
my consulting, I realized in pretty quick order that I could choose the projects that I said yes to. And that enabled me to work with a lot of amazingly cool people doing some pretty interesting projects, like uh, working with the people in the mid-1980s that developed virtual reality. And that was totally by accident because we thought we were making a visual programming language. Uh, but instead, the input-output devices was what we focused on because that was what turned out to be really cool. And that turned into virtual reality and we coined the phrase. And uh, after a while of that, I really wanted to work on my own projects. And that's when I took time off of working for other people to explore my own projects. And TV Be Gone was an idea I'd had for quite a while. Since growing up as a little kid, I was really depressed as a little kid. And I just sunk all of my time into watching TV to escape my <laughs> miserable little kid existence. And um, TV really, in my view now, just took most of my life away, the first half of my life. And when it started appearing, these TVs uh, started appearing all over in public places. I couldn't escape them. In my apartment, I got rid of them. But in public, what could I do about it? Well, I'm a geek and I have this mindset. Uh, I knew I could make a remote control to turn them all off. So I did. And it turned out other people liked it. And that's the way I've been making a living ever since. And TV Gone got me invited to give interviews and media presentations and public presentations as an introverted geek. That was challenging for me, but people really appreciated what I had to say, which was really a trip. And it got me invited to my first hacker conference, which was Hope in 2006, Hope number six. And there, for the first time in my life, as an introverted geek, I felt super wonderful in a group. It was amazing. Here's thousands of people all sharing what they love doing. And that's unfortunately not like our society at large, where it seems like most people are doing stuff they don't like doing at all or even hate doing. And here's a, you know, more than 2,000 people doing what they love. and wanting to share with me and wanting me to share with them. It felt fantastic. And so I've been helping with uh, Hope um, ever since, and then a whole bunch of other conferences, hacker conferences and events as well. It also led me to, uh, you know, as you said in the introduction, um, start uh, Noisebridge in San Francisco, hackerspace in San Francisco. And with Hope and with hackerspaces, this is, for me, really about teaching and sharing and learning. It's, it's about actual education for all of our lives, no matter what age we are, little kids on up, we can teach and share and learn with one another and keep growing and keep pushing on the boundaries that we see before us um, and take them as challenges to improve our lives and the lives of those around us. And hope continues to do that. The first hope I went to, there were no people making things. And I thought, well, gee, the next one that comes around, I'm going to do one of the things I love, which is teaching people how to solder and make the things with electronics. And now we have a, a whole area and many hacker conferences around the world have huge areas of people making things, which is 
really gratifying. And, and then seeing people doing this at hacker spaces as well. We have community where in a world with way too little of it. And I hope we can be an example for others to follow to create unity each in their own way. Because our, our planet really needs this for us to continue as a species uh, <laughs> that hopefully we can convince the planet to continue to support us. I think you touch up, you both touch on upon a lot of uh, good points here. And something I really felt as well when I went to my first uh, re real hacking conference, um, which was the kind of uh, belonging or uh, that, that you're describing, Mitch, and that there actually are other people like uh, like yourself and like me and that also enjoy security or tinkering and all of these other things. And uh, it's just so different interacting to people on a on a personal level versus uh, just on IRC. And then you're talking and the dopamine levels are going up and everyone is getting really happy. It's awesome to see. It is and feel. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so for someone that has no idea of what the HOPE conference is, what is the what is HOPE? So uh, HOPE is an acronym. It stands for Hackers on Planet Earth. It was started in 1994, I believe. And the uh, organization behind it is a magazine called 2600, 2600. So 2600 Magazine is a magazine that's been around since the 1980s, and it's uh, maybe not the original first magazine. I think it's safe to say it's the longest running in print hacker magazine that uh, that exists, and it covers all different topics, and the conference is really kind of similar. There's all different topics, though, not just hacking per se, whatever hacking may be, but things related to hacking. So we have a lot of talks on things like privacy and uh, uh, legal concerns and education. And obviously, as Mitch was saying, since at least 2006 or 2008, a whole lot of emphasis on building and making and, and uh, the uh, electronics and other things behind some of these devices that we can use or invent or repair. So that's what uh, HOPE is. It's a conference that happens about every two years and a conference that in, in uh, tends to attract a couple thousand people so not are, and during the conference there are typically about three speaker tracks which means simultaneous tracks where someone's standing up and giving a talk or maybe there's a panel discussion or maybe a keynote these types of things and then also at the same time uh several workshops to choose from. And a workshop might be, uh, as Mitch was saying, something like learn to solder, where it might be, uh, uh, here's how to uh, repair or take apart some device, or here's how I built something and you can build something similar. It's where people are, are. The other type of content we have, in addition to speakers and workshops, we have a number of performances, which are you know, people doing original performances of, uh, you know, uh, singing, or maybe they're doing some DJing or playing some instruments. We also have some contests. We have a Hackers Got Talent, which is a talent show, and a couple of other uh, sort of special events like that. Um, uh, and there are other things as well. There's uh, a group of vendors that show up to to talk to people and and sell their uh, their items, or or you just talk about their organization. 
This year, we'll be uh, doing some coordination with uh, the Dutch hacker camp called May Contain Hackers. That's happening the same exact weekend. So we're going to do a little cool um, uh, synergy between the two events and uh, probably other things that didn't didn't come right to mind. But it's a it's a fully featured conference. A lot of stuff going on simultaneously. Most of the speaker tracks are are also broadcasts and they're all recorded. So for later on, you can you know see what happened. Catch the uh, catch the recording. Okay, but will hope be on the same day as the you're referring to the CCC camp may contain hackers. Will that align with? Yes. The, okay. It's exactly the same starting dates, but uh, the Dutch camp or the German camp goes a couple extra days beyond. So hope is this year it's uh, July twenty second through twenty fourth, and the website I should have mentioned already. The website is hope.net or www.hope.net, H-O-P-E. We'll have that all yeah, uh, linked in the show notes. Yeah. yeah, it's unfortunate that the uh, Dutch camp this year is the same date as Hope. The Dutch camp was supposed to be last year, but of course the pandemic made it impossible. So they, they put it up a year. Uh, we've been coordinating so that we can have live streams of each other's talks going on simultaneously at each one and we'll also have uh, a portal uh, we're calling it either a portal or a fishbowl where people can go into a space and be connected with the other event so we're supporting each other as best we can uh, under the circumstances um, one of the things I, I wanted to add on what Greg said <clears throat> hope is everything Greg said and so much more uh, you know, you can see all the talks for free. We're streaming them. We always have and recording them. You can see all of our talks from the past on the 2600 YouTube channel from all of the Hope events from even before I started in 2006, all the way back. And um, the uh, thing is with, with Hope, like many conferences, as what you said, Philippe, as well, being together and hanging out together. And you can do so much more with people together than you can do with just watching the talks as good as they are online. But one of the things that makes Hope a bit different than many other hacker conferences is it's got a big focus on not just the technology for technology's sake, but we live in a world where tech gets ever more powerful and its effects on us personally and as a society uh, increase over time. And there's a big focus at Hope about how, how, how are those effects for us? Um, how, does a tech, how does technology affect us? How does technology affect our society? And this is, these are really important questions. It has such a huge effect and it seems not enough people are actually thinking about it, uh, let alone exploring it. And these technologies are so powerful, and we're seeing some of the effects of these technologies in the planet's ability to support us and other mammals. So we need to start focusing much, much more on this. And at Hope, talks and conversations have been going on around these topics for way before I got there in 2006. Well, Hope, wasn't it uh, the first Hope conference that was held on 2600's uh, 10th anniversary, right? It's about right, yeah, 1994, after publishing starting in 1984. Oh, that's cool. So you guys know all of the uh, the good present uh, or the good workshops and all what's going on. 
what are some of the hidden gems behind uh, of hope some of the hidden events and some of your hidden uh, fame uh, some of your guys favorite hidden gems that are outside the talks wow i mean it's all good that's the thing that it's <laughs> I, i think it's a challenge which talk to go to or which workshop to go to or whether just to hang around and, and try to have some conversations to me i've i've And I'm surprised by a talk or surprised by a workshop. It's something, it's because it's something I didn't anticipate. And sometimes it's a topic that I think I know something about, but it turns out that there's some really interesting, you know, uh, uh, thoughts that I hadn't had previously. Um, and sometimes it's because there's something I know a lot about and I realize here's another expert or, or you're, here's a real expert that can, uh, You know, can help guide me. So, I, I, from my point of view, it's it's all good. I'll I'll mention just one, and maybe Mitch has a couple other ones. But one thing that I I thought was really cool is something I'd never heard of, and this is something called demo scenes. A demo scene is a tiny, tiny program that expands to be a neat uh, and and uh, ongoing uh, audio and video experience. And, uh, there's been an expert that's presented and I think we'll have him back this year, uh, a demo scene session where he basically sits on stage and for hour after hour late at night shows these cool little programs that are doing things like fractals and sort of video game like interfaces. You know, uh, a lot of these are eight bit presentations. So going back to the old style video games and, uh, and nice music sort of again, going back to those old style video games. So to me, that's one thing I'll just mention that was uh, something I had never heard of before. And then, and then, you know, stopped in and, and just sat there for a couple of hours, mesmerized by G, uh, you know, by, by what I would see. And it ends because there are demo scenes, there are things that anyone can produce there. Uh, there's something that takes some talent to do a good job of, but it's pretty accessible for someone to make their own. Yeah. And the inverse phase is going to be doing some of that at the uh, oh. Um, in July this summer, next month, even, um, yeah, the demo scenes, uh, totally freaked me out. I never heard of that before going to hope either. And, uh, that's done with original hardware from way back when, in, in like 1980s. And they do so much with this, uh, hardware and software. They create their own software on this old hardware to make it do total magic. So, um, one of the things 2600 magazine is called 2600 because that was an important frequency for, uh, the old analog phone systems. And as a little kid, one of the things I played with a lot was the phone system back when it was just one monopoly, uh, and they totally hid everything about it. But there were a whole bunch of people that were curious about it and explored that. And as a little kid and as a teenager, I explored it and found a whole bunch of stuff in the Ma Bell, as we called it, the phone system, Ma Bell, uh, in their dumpster in the area where my parents live. And I found other That's people amazing. I with. And you just headed in the dumpster lock. and went dumpster diving? or Yeah, yeah. And in the dumpster near where my parents live, there, uh, uh, there was a, uh, some, I guess, a little research area for for the bell system and oh, they cool. would throw away things after they were done there. And, and so I found the, one of the, this, I thought it was such a cool idea. I mean, I'm 65 years old. So I'm, I'm, I'm old. And, uh, there, 
I remember phones as a little kid uh, were dials, right? You, you you put your finger in this circle and, and then push it and it goes, kill, 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 kill. And, and then suddenly in this dumpster was a phone with push buttons. Wow, what a cool idea. And I, I plugged it in at home and it actually worked. It made beeping noises. And anyways, there was, there was a, a manual in there about uh, what phone freaks, the people who play with phone systems, called a blue box. And I went to my first home and there were all these people... Uh, talking about all of this stuff and 2600 magazine was all about that in the early days. And so there, there was someone at um, my second hope, I believe, which was in 2008, uh, who set up a very small analog phone system that actually worked and you could make phone calls and you could actually oh. route calls with a blue box. I mean, it's totally pointless and totally stupid, but it's beautiful. It was, it was one of my highlights. That's amazing. Has kind of the, the freaking scene died off a bit, would you guys say? Is it less and less talks about manipulating phone systems now when everything has gone to TCP IP and everything is VoIP and... Uh, it's not so interested anymore. When yeah, you know, like, or yeah, there's 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 not much um, that isn't known about uh, the phone systems when you place a call. But but there's been talks at Hope and other conferences about how um, cellular networks function, and that's pretty interesting stuff too. It's it gets much more technical though in many ways. But one of the things at Hope that is explored is the security issues around these devices that we all have in our pockets. We, they connect us all. That's uh, really incredible, but we give up a lot when we allow these devices to connect us right now. I'm uh, in a particular spot connected to a cell tower um, and it's known pretty much exactly where I am. And that's in a database somewhere. Right now, the government uh, in the country where I'm standing doesn't really care about that, but maybe the government might change and that data might become used for something not in my benefit. Uh, these are things that are topics to explore at Hope and other hacker conferences and hacker spaces. This is part of the hacker mindset is to think about the consequences of what we do and the choices that we make. So even though the technical aspects of the phone system isn't so much hidden from us anymore, uh, the social and political aspects are, and we need to bring those out in the open. That's a good point. The social change and the social effect of the phone. Yeah, one of the um, uh, talks that we're going to have for this coming hope, uh, a new hope is the name of we have a different name every time this year's one is called a new hope um for a new hope we're going to have one of the people who was working at facebook and who was hired to see uh how facebook was being used and abused by governments to manipulate people on facebook and she found a lot of governments doing that including our own, uh, but many others as well. And what when she gave her reports, Facebook did basically nothing. And she got fed up with that. And she quit and got fired at the same time. And she's been public about this all along. So she's going to be giving, I 
assume a really interesting talk about she works social at media the, uh, Facebook or yeah, Sophie Zhang uh, worked at Facebook and she'll be giving a talk at A New Hope. And I'm way looking forward to that one because she'll give an inside perspective on how Facebook makes its decisions much more on its profit than on the well-being of all of its customers, which is us. That's something to uh, look forward to. That's awesome. So there is a lot of new things about this whole, uh, right? New location, uh, new themes. What can uh, visitors expect for, from this hope? For as long as I've been going to Hope, which is 2006, Hope has been at the same location, which is Hotel Pennsylvania, across from Penn City, Manhattan. And it was a really interesting location for a hacker conference right in the middle of a huge urban area. And the Hotel Penn is no longer, though. We had to change locations we looked all over the place trying to stay in New York City because that's really our, our roots and we didn't want to give that up. And we found St. John's University uh, was really good at um, hosting us. We, we seem to have a lot of synergy. They have uh, a cybersecurity department who's super supportive of us and they're not all that experienced in putting on large conferences like us, but they were up for the challenge. And we're up, always up for the challenge of finding new opportunities and doing something cool. So St. John's has a lot better spaces for us than the Hotel Pennsylvania did. It's sad to leave the Hotel Pennsylvania behind, but now it's just a big hole in the ground as we speak. So we had to leave it behind. And St. John's, though, has way better spaces and um, it's got more space for us. It's more affordable for us. And yeah, the rooms for the talks and the workshops will be much better suited. So I'm looking forward to being there instead of the Hotel Pennsylvania. This is uh, also the first hope um, since the pandemic. And we've all been through all sorts of different things, each individually and our families and loved ones and whatever. No one has really had a good time through the pandemic. And at this point, we really need the opportunity to come together again and be with each other in person. And we're still needing to take precautions for the pandemic. The COVID isn't going away. Hope is going to be uh, vaccination required and inside we'll all have to wear masks, but we'll all get to be with one another again for the first time in, well, for Hope, four years. And for many the, people, the previous one was only virtual, right? That happened before this one was in 2018. And we had the hope that happened that was in person was in 2018. And then we had an online only one in 2020, which was also really good. And we poured our heart and soul into it. And it was one of the few online events where I actually felt an, uh, a connection with other people. It wasn't just looking at uh, faces on a screen. And there were 40,000 people who were joining us 
which is one of the advantages of of being online. 40,000 people from all over the world. It was crazy. And um, thousands of people wrote us emails uh, saying that they, they, they were so grateful to have this experience of feeling connected with other people again for the first time in the pandemic. So that was in 2020. Uh, there's advantages online, but wow, I'm so glad we're doing an in-person conference. I'm so looking forward to being with 2,000 of my closest friends at A New Hope. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really hoping that uh, everything starts uh, turning back to normal with the entire pandemic and everything around that, so to say. How has hope evolved during the years? Is it only getting bigger or bigger or is it staying the same size or how has it evolved? Well, as far as size go, it's pretty much the same. When, uh, that was determined by the Hotel Pennsylvania, mostly, I think. So okay. it, could only, it could only fit about 2,300 people. Otherwise, it was just way too crowded. So we limited the sales. Uh, so that we would have total of 2,300 people, including speakers and staff and volunteers and all that. So, um, but yeah, you know, as, as uh, technology changes um, and, and as the hacker scene grows, the things that people with this mindset are into become more and more diverse. Uh, from looking at all, all the old recordings from Hope conferences and other hacker conferences, it was all about what people were doing on their computers and doing with do what what they were doing online and in networking and then it became more and more about security and by the time i came into the scene in 2006 it was already pretty diverse it become international the germans you mentioned ccc the chaos computer club they opened things up tremendously uh and then became uh, into pushing uh, all of this in, in an international way and then got getting Americans, North Americans and South Americans involved. And by now, um, it's very diverse. It's not just about electronics. It's very much about art and music and craft and about all of the aspects of life on our planet and applying this mindset to it, the hacker mindset, which is really about exploring freely and, and seeing boundaries as opportunities and, um, and, and improving things in ways, seeing what works, what doesn't, using everything as resources. And, and it doesn't have to, those resources don't have to be used the way they were intended by whoever put them there, if they were put there by people. Um, they can be used for whatever we like and see what works, what doesn't share that with others. And, and it just, it's amazing. And then the whole open source, uh, free Libra software movement has gotten very much bigger with many more aspects. And now that applies also to hardware and also to biology and science. So it grows in tremendous ways. So the, the talks are much more diverse and it also attracts a much more diverse kind of a population in the 80s and 90s it was mostly uh, young men or boys and now it's people of all genders and races and lots of walks of life and different economic uh, 
uh, classes. So that's one thing that I think is just getting better and better. And there's always room for improvement and it's improving. So I really like that. Something you mentioned there, which I think is really uh, interesting, is uh, biohacking, which is becoming more and more. Uh, and so a really, really interesting hope speaker, which I think is really interesting, is a guy called Michael Laufer, is his name? Yeah, I don't think I know Michael, but wow. what is, what's his talk? What has he talked about? No, I... I was there for in 2018. I was there for Porto talk, and I think this is amazing that he's making his own medicine. He took some chemical, and then he um, he, he managed to reverse engineer the chemical and uh, produce his own version of it. And then he was just throwing out this really expensive uh, chemical to, to everyone in the crowd, which I thought was amazing. Hopefully it was also safe. <laughs> yeah, 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 it was safe. So it was, yeah, it's not like it's throwing out something uh, like ecstasy pills or something. But yeah. In the uh, last many years, there's a lot of biohacker spaces and a lot of hacker spaces that have biohacking as part of them. And uh, in 2010, I think it was at Hope. can't remember which one now. We had a big focus. And area of biohacking village as part of the hardware hacking area and that was that was really cool because it was it was just beginning to get big and through the pandemic there were this we, we did this as part of hope 2020 as well had, had a focus on our wiki about all the different things that hacker spaces around the world people were doing for the pandemic to make life better for people like making lots and lots of masks, face masks for people in hospitals and other places because there were there was a long time at the beginning of the pandemic where there weren't enough of these things. There were also places where there weren't enough oxygen concentrators, so there were a few hacker spaces that came up their own with their own versions of the oxygen concentrators so that some saving people's lives who are really hurting. Uh, and all this is an outgrowth of the biohacking thing. We really need a lot more of this because otherwise it's all under the control of large pharmaceutical corporations. And they're well suited for doing all sorts of things, but their primary motivation is profit. And if something isn't profitable, no matter how much it'll help people, they're not going to do it. And this is where biohacking uh, people can come in because if something's meaningful to them, like them or friends or loved ones, whatever, uh, are suffering, then they can come up with ways of exploring things through biohacking that are super helpful for rare diseases or a small population where a large pharmaceutical is never going to do it because it just can't be profitable. They'll lose too much money. So yeah, lots of cool stuff's happening in, in the biohacking world, including art, which is really cool, and also music. Yeah, that's really cool that people are actually able to uh, uh, to, to biohack and engineer expensive medicines that um, they're not uh, able to get otherwise, or they are, but it's very costful. And Greg, how do you think? Uh, Mitch talked about this, but how do you think hope has evolved during the years? I apologize. I had to step away for a few moments. My wife has been on an adventure race called Expedition Canada for six days, and she just got back last night and slept through the night. So I, I hadn't had a chance to talk to her um, for over a week. 
So, uh, one, one event. So yeah, and actually hope Packers on planet earth is also an endurance event because you want to stay up all the time. You don't want to miss anything. You want to have every conversation. And that's been a constant, I think, in my mind of hope is just, uh, uh, 24 hours over three days, uh, you know, all through the overnights of just really cool stuff. Um, I think Mitch, uh, gave a nice summary. I was listening a little bit to the, you know, to the evolution. And, and I think really, if you reach back, if you can think back all the way to the early, uh, late 1990s and early 2000s, at that time, the internet wasn't that, uh, prevalent. Uh, you would have a lot of people with laptops or computers, but not that many people were bringing a laptop to, uh, to hope. And of course, that was before we had things like smartphones. So, so now we end up with sort of de facto hybrid events where people are sitting in the audience, but they're simultaneously able to, uh, look stuff up or take notes or, or, uh, you know, take digital photographs. You know, speakers are, are putting their slides up. Um, we're streaming live. So all of this, I think, makes the conference, um, somewhat more interactive. And also it means that the experience people that are there, they are, um, you know, not just sitting and receiving stuff, you know, like watching a movie, just being a recipient, but they're also able to interact with the content. And of course they can interact with, um, the speakers themselves afterwards. And that's, that's been a constant, you know, uh, constant opportunity at hope. So I think that's been sort of an evolution, not so much in the topics, but just in the way that people experience, people interact with, uh, with events. And of course, in 2020, when we did everything virtual, that was sort of the ultimate, right? And that was, um, you know, all, all virtual all the time. And, uh, and that meant that among other things, we had this, uh, chat system, this, uh, matrix chat system where people could, uh, interact live with the speakers, uh, you know, while the, while the talk is going on and also ask questions and the MCs would reaction to the speakers and these types of things. So this is, this is something that I think is, uh, you know, using the technology to make for a more interactive, um, you know, multi-directional experience rather than just a broadcast model. So I wanted to point that out as, 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 um, you know, one of the main evolutions. And, uh, I think otherwise it's sort of content evolution. Yeah. You, you highlighted it earlier. I mean, we're not seeing too many people worried about getting free phone calls because if you have a, a mobile phone, then you're paying for the mobile phone service, but you're probably not paying on a per call basis. So there's not that motivation, uh, you know, to try to get the free phone calls. But we do have a lot of people that are exploring the technologies and the privacy aspects and, um, uh, the regulatory aspects and, uh, and related for, for telephones and, and internet and so forth. And just like you were talking about it, I really am very excited about the biohacking piece. This is an area where, where, yeah, you're, you're potentially making it very inexpensive to make some common drugs like insulin that are otherwise rather expensive to get from the pharmaceutical industry. And that's that's important that's enabling it might not be convenient but it can be enabling for people that really need the um you know really need the drugs or, or maybe some areas where the drugs are not too widely available we're also seeing uh some increasing ability to do uh other types of uh health care uh sort of a highlight from 2020 was was uh abortion we had a uh workshop on on a very common method that goes all the way back to the very early 1970s of um 
uh, of performing a uh, an abortion using just regular household uh, goods, so not needing a um, you know not needing an operating room, not needing a doctor, anything like that. Um, and that maybe maybe is at one far end of a spectrum where uh, you know the DIY approach applies to uh, a variety of healthcare. We've also had a number of talks, uh, including 2020, I'm not sure what we have for 2022 this year, about uh, cancer, about people that had cancer and basically realized that, as we were saying before, that the pharmaceutical industry is not really on your side with curing your cancer. They're really on your side with selling you stuff and keeping you as a customer as long as possible, but not necessarily curing you or making you a lot better. And uh, modern medicine, of course, is um, mostly at the mercy of the pharmaceutical industry. So, so we have hackers that have said, "Okay, I'm going to study up. I'm going to I'm going to uh, figure out some alternative treatments, um, not wacky ass, you know, take a herbal tea or something stupid like that. You know, real cancer treatments that um, that had an impact, or maybe just mitigated their situation, or maybe interacted in a, in a beneficial way with." Um, you know, the sort of, sort of more traditional uh, pharmaceuticals. So that's another example of, of, uh, of biohacking where it's not just, not just that we're, you know, doing some chemistry, but that the, uh, the hacker mindset is actually either uh, synergistic with or better than what you can get from a, uh, you know, a regular doctor or regular pharmaceuticals. This to me is amazing, right? Now, of course, we still have the convenience aspect. You know, you don't get to go down to the doctor's office or the pharmacy and buy a pill or something like that. Maybe you're needing to learn a little chemistry or get some equipment to, uh, you know, to, to do these uh, types of treatments. Or maybe it's more time consuming and takes a lot of devotion. But, you know, what the heck, if you got cancer, you're going to be pretty motivated to, uh, to do these types of things or some other uh, big disease. So I wanted to highlight those in the biohacking area. Of course, other other things like body mods, uh, cyborg um, style, um, you know, man machine or person machine interfaces. These are all uh, also of interest, and we do see some of that at Hope as well. And that's been going back, I think, for uh, for a number of years. So I hope that was sort of a useful summary of, of some of the evolution and some of the highlights that I see. But I, I totally agree with what we were just talking about. The um, the idea of getting free phone calls is no longer so important. The idea of healing yourself and bypassing, or like I say, being synergistic with the modern approach to well-being, not just pure health or disease, but just overall well-being. I think that's an area that hackers have an increased role for. Yeah, we're actually going to have uh, a workshop of people, of a person. This is going to be one of our only, I think, virtual workshops uh, for A New Hope this next month. A uh, person who will do some guided meditation and uh, a workshop about well-being while being a person who works in the realms that most of the people who go to Hope uh, are involved with. And that's really important. We all have to, that, that one of the aspects of community is taking care of each other. And that's, of course, why we are having a vaccinated people only conference and requiring people to have masks inside. Um, but we also want to take care of each other by sharing what works for us so that we can all stay as healthy and happy as we can be. Yeah, it's important to note that at Hope, just like 2600, 
we're not, um, we, we're rat, we are grounded. We are not conspiracy theorists. We're not people that come up with some wacky non-scientific treatment and, and, uh, you know, want to sell it like, uh, uh, you know, some of the goop that you see out there in, in, um, in the world, you know, we very much want to be evidence-based, scientifically grounded, uh, but also at the same time, open to experimentation, open to failure of experimentation, and certainly open to whatever creativity people want to bring in and addressing, uh, you know, real world scenarios and, and, uh, issues. That, that's a very good summary. I think so. Uh, I have a question. So, if someone has an idea for a hope talk, what's the way to submit that and actually make that into a real hope talk? Well, the deadline for 2022 has passed. The schedule is being put together, so people listening to this podcast uh, won't have the opportunity to be part of the um, the speaker lineup or the workshop lineup or performance or anything. However. However, we also have a neat feature of the HOPE conference that we call the fourth track or the unscheduled track. And so people can show up and sign up to give a talk on um, space allowed. You know, this, this does tend to fill in, but on site, we have signups for a, uh, a room where people can, can, um, can do a presentation that will be to, you know, to the local attendees. This won't be streamed or recorded. But it is a way of, of reaching out to uh, to people that are at hope. Of course, in the future, we hope to do this again in a couple of years. And keep an eye out at www.hope.net. You can also subscribe to an email list, the announce email list. And that's a good way of knowing about future events when there will be a deadline. Yeah, and uh, hope is much easier to make a submission for a talk or a workshop or a performance or whatever you can dream up. It's very informal. We just ask for uh, a, a small description, uh, a summary of what you want to present. And there's a selection committee uh, for speakers. There's a selection committee for pretty much everything else. And, uh, and the committee just decides what they think will be cool and if necessary, work with the person who wants to give the presentation to make it better. So it's really easy to make a submission to HOPE. So in the future for our next conference, whatever it will be called <laughs> um, in 2024, uh, we look forward to everyone's submissions so that we can make the hope in 2024 even better than the one that's going to happen next month. Hope is every twice year. Why is it biannual? Um, Hackers on Planet Earth is entirely volunteer driven, even though 2600 Magazine is a sponsor and it's a commercial magazine. Um, all the people involved are volunteers. And what this means is we, um, we have other you know, other things to do in our lives. It's also relatively inexpensive conference, $200 for the weekend, uh, for, you know, the, the ticket and then, uh, people have to get their own hotel and travel and stuff like that. So we don't do it every year, mostly because we, we don't have quite enough energy, quite enough critical mass to, to pull it off every year with the volunteer staffing. This could change in the future. Uh, I think at this point, it's mostly, um, mostly have it that we do it every, every two years. But like I said, partially that's motivated by 
the uh, the need to have volunteer staff to make everything happen. And our volunteer staff is very small. There's only like 12 of us that put this event on. And then as the event gets closer, we get hundreds of volunteers uh, during the event. And we have uh, something like um, 30 to 50 volunteers helping as the event gets closer. But uh, yeah, it's a lot of work for us. And like Greg said, this is just something we do out of love. We don't get paid and we have to do many other things in our lives. So once every two years is the perfect frequency to make hope really wonderful every two years. For, for people that want to like fork the hope conference and make their own conference or their own meetup or their own hackerspace, what like administrative tasks or like what logistical tips do you guys have that you learned from uh, doing the hope conference? Oh, it's endless. I mean, this has been, uh, I think Mitch and I and some of the other volunteers have also seen that it's, it's, um, it's a learning experience for all of us. And I think over a year, all of us have, have increased our skill set and, and, um, you know, uh, sort of expanded in what we understand and what we can do. So just to give a short list, uh, one thing is project management. Another thing is audio video, like, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the various uh, machinery of lighting and sound and projection. Another is uh, MC in being a being a master of ceremonies and interacting with speakers. Another is um, supporting the various workshops performances. So 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 people need to you know uh, help people to get on stage, help people get off stage, answer their questions before and during the event, deal with any issues that come up. Um, we have a significant effort around networking. We've, uh, in the past at Hotel Pennsylvania, we brought in our own 10 gigabit network to the hotel and ran it end to end within the hotel, including, uh, the public facing IP space and everything end to end. Uh, at St. John's, we're using their campus network. So it's not quite as, you know, not quite as much effort, but a lot of expertise around networking, things like video streaming and, uh, uh, the, uh, the mechanisms for doing on-site production of the live stream that's going out. Um, so these are all these are all sort of areas where we do a lot of work. There's also a lot of the softer skills which are so important. So we have a security team, we have a code of conduct that we're trying to make sure people aren't, you know, harassing each other. And so these, you know, sort of um, sometimes incidents. Sometimes people are just feeling uncomfortable or they want someone to talk to about. Uh, uh, you know, an experience that they're having, those also need to be uh, dealt with either either by whoever they're talking to, a volunteer, or escalated as necessary. Um, and we've also had some emergency management. Uh, unfortunately, not not very much, but it seems at every event there's someone who faints, maybe they're dehydrated, something like that, and we end up calling the ambulance. Um, we had an incident in 2018 where where someone. Um, uh, injured themselves and again called the ambulance. So, so you know, we have to be able to deal with uh, sort of extreme events as well as just the regular aspects of keeping the uh, the conference going. Uh, tickets, you know, taking on-site payments, uh, providing tickets, and having a way of uh, avoiding ticket fraud or or ticket inappropriate ticket uh, uh, reuse. So you can imagine how many things are are, are going into this. Uh, the one thing we haven't done that we don't do is we we have outsourced a lot of the housing 
So we're not doing like a camping type of experience. You know, we're just uh, uh, letting hotels provide rooms. So we don't need to worry about uh, about campus housing. We also don't really need to worry about food. Uh, we don't provide food at the event. We, uh, we let the venues provide food, which St. John's will be doing. Or we um, just tell people to go out in the case of Manhattan, just go out, out of the hotel and there's food on every street corner that um, that's available. So there's a couple of things that have traditionally been out of scope. Uh, oh, and I should also mention another area that's always fun for me and a few of us is uh, rentals and trucking. So we bring in, uh, you know, things like tables and chairs and audio video equipment and networking equipment and uh, 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 things like uh, T-shirts that are going to be sold by 2600. Uh, all types of things like that. So you have to deal with the logistics of ordering and bringing in trucks and unloading the trucks and packing the trucks. And uh, uh, I can tell you that I personally uh, was the one that drove the truck into Manhattan uh, for a, a number of conferences. We had uh, we we've always had multiple rental companies, but uh, but I was one of the people that drove one of our uh, trucks of equipment into Manhattan for uh for the last few events and that was quite the experience as well i can tell you so yeah just a, a ton of things that go into a conference a lot of which is behind the scenes and of course the goal is that if everything is working great then it's just magic you know no one knows no one needs to worry about about it, it just looks great feels great functions on time and and uh of course has fantastic content yeah that's the thing the attend knees don't even know how much work it is because it's all behind the scenes if we do a good job that is and i think we have um so yeah outreach is another thing uh that needs to be done that i think the only thing i could think of that you didn't mention greg but uh yeah there's just a, a bazillion things that need to be thought of and uh if people want to make their own conference the the thing is to start small and then grow and the main thing is, is this is about community. So think about your community and uh, provide them what they want. And of course, you're not doing it only for these other people. You're part of the community. So take into account what you want and what floats your boat and what excites you and um, get together with other people. For hackerspaces, uh, the main thing is, as someone founding or co-founding a hackerspace, is to uh, create a vision that you want to be a huge part of your life. And then write that down, you and the other co-founders and the people you collect around you, write that down, create a vision and a mission and imagine what the space is going to be like. What, what kind of people are there? What are they doing? What does it feel like? And from that, the, the mission and the vision are easy. And then um, put it out there. You know, you have a single web page, a sticker to give away, and put it out there. This is part of your life. And um, it's a huge part of your life, hopefully, if you're successful. And it attracts people which make the vision and the mission stronger, which make the community stronger, which attracts more people, etc. So that's, that's the starting point, is thinking about the community and you as part of it. Indeed. The... The talent pool is going to be different for every event. And if you do an event multiple times, that talent pool will evolve and, um, and expand. I think it's key though, if you're starting an event is to say, well, who do I have? What's my talent pool? 
Who, who's willing to put some time into this? And then what do I have? Do I have a place to do this event? Do I have uh, channels to reach out and invite people to be, to be part of it? And depending on the answers to those questions, you can leverage what you have. So if, if you're, for example, if you're a hackerspace and you have space and you have um, some people, then you say, okay, how can I build an event around you know, what I have around these people around this uh, space? On the other hand, if you have maybe a company or you have a, um, a membership organization, you might be saying, okay, we need to rent a space and we need to uh, uh, you know, put some people in charge of these different activities. And maybe we'll start small with uh you know one track and and uh some social space rather than trying to do multiple tracks and streaming and all this other stuff so you do have to make decisions uh, many many decisions but i think a starting point is to look at who you have and what you have as the way of guiding those decisions is there any like uh, tools that you guys recommend that help you guys organize hope maybe some project management software or um I feel like I feel like it's more it's almost like what I just said is um what do you have because there are some tools especially uh now we're using some from uh CCC there's something called Pretox and there's something called uh, Angle system which is for volunteers so we're using those systems but I can tell you there're no picnic to set up uh they're not that well documented and and a lot of the documentation is in German which not too many of the hope people um are familiar with so so those are a couple of particular tools for for hacker conferences but um uh but not lightweight to use and if you have a conference with um you know you're going to have 20 or 30 volunteers then you don't really need a lot of software to support that uh similarly though for project management yeah we're, we're using things like google documents uh we're using spreadsheets uh we're not using uh jira or one of the more formal project management tools, but that, that could work for us if we, uh, wanted to take that, that approach. We're also using, uh, traditional teleconferencing, you know, Zoom and that sort of thing for, for conference planning. And again, uh, you could imagine a, a more sophisticated approach to the, uh, you know, the, to the conference planning. Um, our website is, um, it's using Pretox, which is a CCC software for scheduling among other things. And it also uses a, a package that basically turns uh, Markdown into styled HTML and CSS. So our website is obviously a, a key technology, but again, that's pretty generic. It's like you know, if, if you're if you're already using something for that, some content management system, whatever it is, then you know, start with that, and that'll probably work fine for your purposes. So I say I don't have I don't have particular recommendations uh, in that area. But we do use a lot of different tools, and mostly those are just based on what do we have access to and what is um, a tool that our volunteers have some expertise in using. Awesome. That's great. I think I've gone all over all of my questions. Is there anything that I've forgotten to ask about the Hope Conference that you guys want to highlight? Just one quick thing. I wanted to mention this before. Tickets are still available, www.hope.net. There are virtual tickets as well as in-person tickets. So if people want to just be a part of it from afar, that's uh, allowed, that's supported. And also uh, volunteers. So if you go to the website, the hope.net website, there's a uh, tab about volunteers. So if people are interested in volunteering, that would be great. Um, we still do ask that volunteers purchase a ticket. 
because, uh, as I said before, we're a fairly low budget volunteer driven event. Um, but in exchange, you get to do some stuff, meet some cool people, and you get a t-shirt. So there's opportunities for, uh, for volunteering. So I wanted to mention that. Um, and I think the other thing uh, I want to mention briefly is we talked about coordinating with, uh, may contain hackers, MCH, and this has been great. And we actually have a lot of cross fertilization. Probably Mitch is the one that does this the most, but a lot of cross fertilization with different conferences, different events, uh, hacker spaces, presentations. And we always love this stuff. So, uh, you know, podcasts, podcasts as well. And we always love this stuff. Yeah. So, so, uh, feel free to reach out if people are interested in just having a discussion and don't know who to contact, just email hope at hope.net. That's right on our website, website, and um, and someone will get back to you. So we're really happy to have collaboration, happy to have ideas, happy to have cross fertilization with other events, and of course happy to uh, have new volunteers and attendees at the event. Yeah, it's really important. Yeah, so volunteering of your time and energy and putting that into something that you benefit from benefits so many other people so i encourage everyone to do that in whatever ways in your life that you feel is worthwhile so um yeah i mean that's what changes lives that's how we improve our lives and the lives of those around us and that's what changes the world so keep doing cool stuff and thanks thanks philippe for doing your podcast because that's one way that you're doing that in your life Thank you both guys for being on Hacker Talk. It was amazing to have you guys here and uh, hopefully I will see you guys at the future Hope event. Well, thanks. Thanks for having us. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, thanks very much. And I hope to see you again. 2018 was a long time ago. Exactly. Thank you for listening to Hacker Talk and I will see you in the future.